Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast, where our mission is to provide woodworking education for all levels and all types of woodworkers. To find out more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, visit us on the web at modernwoodworkersassociation.com or follow us on Twitter at NWA underscore national. Now to our host, Tom Iovino, Diami Palatki, and yours truly, Chris Atkins. Welcome to this, the 28th edition. Today we have a special guest, Charles Brock, chairmaker extraordinaire. You might have noticed that I was missing last episode. For those of you who don't like the way I go on, that was a good thing. Uh, that means just about everybody in our audience. Um, but where I was was interesting. I was at the National Hurricane Conference. And believe it or not, we were about a month and a half away from the start of hurricane season. And one of the things that I left with, um, with the knowledge of is that when the hurricane season does come, you really have to have your stuff in order. Um, we're also in tornado season as well. So really this time of the year is a good time for you to go out and do a uh, shop inventory. Um, you don't have to be fancy, write down every model number and, 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 and down to the detail like that, but um, maybe just even go around your shop with a camera really quick and capture your tools. Um, in the event you ever have a lawsuit, due to tornado, fire, theft, flood, hurricane, earthquake, whatever, um, you'll have the opportunity to be able to present that to your insurance company. And I'll tell you, if you want to see a firsthand example of that, you could check out uh, Kyle Barton down in yes. Texas. He lost his shop due to uh, due to hurricane flooding. Now I know Tom, you've written about Kyle. Do you know? Did he write about it himself on his blog at Short Bus Woodworking? Or no, he didn't. It was actually he started Short Bus Woodworking well after this. Um, but what I did was I interviewed him, and uh, when I was at the Governor's Hurricane Conference a few years later, uh, a few years ago, um, uh, Bill Reed then Hurricane Center director, actually read the posts, and he saw how valuable they were. Um, he is actually Facebooking them and tweeting them um, for, on his personal account. So, you know, really the, the key is to find out what's in your policy. And I think, you know, if, if you have your homeowners a policy, really it's a good time, again, to um, uh, really to just double-check and to make sure you know what's covered. Um, because if you don't, uh, you know, if you don't know what's covered and the loss does happen, uh, it's going to be tough to re recover, re uh, reconstitute everything. And you may or may not be covered on certain tools. So always double check with your agent. Read that policy. It's really important. Definitely a word to the wise. Also, hey, what's going on in your shops? Uh, Chris, what's, what's happening there in Atlanta? Um, not a whole lot in a way. Same projects I've been working on. Um, mm -hmm. I think I've told you guys I have switched jobs um at work so that's um that's been kind of uh of course that's kind of fun to me honestly when i get into <laughs> some new stuff and kind of new challenges and things like that so so that's kind of been on my plate quite a bit but um i did spend some time last weekend working in that chisel cabinet i've still never finished it so i'm almost finished i put the back in it uh last weekend so uh so i'm now, like that close to finishing it Chris, Chris, you say it's done. We need pictures. All right. I, I always post pictures. Come on. You say still never finished. What is it, a month old? I mean, it's not as though you've been working on it for that long. I know, but I typically, I, I like to make something pretty quick. So, okay. um, But it's just the time in between projects is what kills me. But <laughs> no, no, you're right. I mean, it's not been that long on it. But, um, but I'm, I'm kind of anxious to get that one finished up because I got some other stuff I want to work on. So, um it's kind of cool. I the the, the I've kind of switched back and forth on materials a couple of times. Of course, the door's got maple for the frame, and then the center panel is uh, chestnut with the 
maple kind of river pattern through the center of it. Mm. And then the the body of it is also maple dovetailed together. And then on the back of it for the back panel, I took some uh, some thinner chestnut I had and just you know planed it down fairly thin and put a back panel in it in chestnut. So the the wood keeps switching back and forth on it, and it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. It's a neat looking little little piece. So when you open up this cabinet, it's going to be kind of cool because you have the maple, and then you'll see the chestnut right in the back. That would be that would right. be kind of a neat, neat yeah. feature. Yeah, and then. Right, and then the shelves that'll hold the chisels, those will be maple also. So it just everything kind of plays off of each other. So nice, you know. It, it yes, it's it's shop furniture, but at the same time, you know what I like. I spend I like to spend time in my shop, and I like things to look a certain way. So I spend more time than I probably necessarily need to. But well, Chris, you know, shop furniture is an excellent place to to hone your skills. It is. Side stuff. So that's right. If you make some small mistakes out there, at least you know how to fix them later. So that's a that's a good thing. Yep, you got it. Diami, what's going on in your shop? What's happening up in Long Island? Well, taking a month to do a chisel cabinet. I'm embarrassed that I'm on a podcast with this guy. He's so slow. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the shop wall renovation that I started in November of 2010. Uh, I just finished the sheathing of the walls, so that was a nice milestone. Uh, now it's time to switch gears and jump to electric. Um, and uh, I've still got that, that glue gun rack just taking up space on my bench. So not all that much in the shop, but it was nice to finally get the last piece of OSB up. And uh, it's it's visually, it's a nice milestone that the walls are now sheathed. So that that feels good. Hey, Dion, I mean, you got to celebrate those milestones all the way along. Otherwise, Absolutely. you know what, I mean, come on. If you can't enjoy the journey, what journey why even go there? That's the only reason I'm here, because I'm yeah. never going to get to the end. <laughs> Remember, it is the penultimate workshop. Um, just so you know, um, I uh, this week I tried my hand at carving. And uh, for those who are watching on YouTube get to see this, um, those of you listening on, on iTunes are going to have to picture this. It's a uh, it's a carved a lid to a box that I'm making for my niece. She's getting confirmed this weekend. And uh, I wanted to build her a little something special. Um, so what I did was I made a box out of cherry. Um, that I had sitting around and had to plane it out. And I made the box with some nice splines in it, um, you know, out of out of uh, aspen, very pale white wood um, with the red cherry, really just a nice contrast. And then in the uh, aspen lid, I, I carved the cross, and I, I used the router, and I used some chisels and some, uh, some uh, uh, knives and things along those lines. I was able to get a pretty decent-looking design. Now, granted, this isn't, you know, expert carving, you know, you're going to see this in a museum one day. But, you know, for a first effort, and, you know, it's, it's something that's pretty special to me because I know that my niece is going to have it. And, uh, I think it looks really nice. Should, thank you. Mm -hmm. should, be able to, should be able to, you know, cherish this. You know, I, I know that I've, I've given presents to my nieces and nephews in the past. And they've, they've loved them. And, you know, that, that's really what this is all about for me is just to be able to pass that joy along to other people and, you know, and have them appreciate it. It looks good, Tom. Mm -hmm. Thanks. You know, we're getting, yeah. we're getting better. You know, I, there's, there's one person I do want to learn from. Her name is Carrie Holtman, the village woodworker, uh, village carpenter. That's it. We need to, I need to sit down with her and get a lesson. So Carrie, if you're listening, I'm going to have to hit you up for a lesson one of these days. I, I didn't want to say anything because I'm just, as you're showing us that, I'm just thinking of her first effort at relief carving. That uh, stone holder she made with the carved out tools. I don't know um, but that's not a realistic thing to ex hold any expectation <laughs> to, because I don't know where she pulled that thing out of. Um, but I think your cross is damn fine, Tom. 
Well, thank you. Hopefully the recipient will think so. If not, then, well, he will keep practicing. Okay. <laughs> hey, wood's, wood's not that expensive. We can keep working on it, fortunately, with these small pieces. Um, let's go into some of the blogs that have piqued our interest. Um, Chris, what's this all about gunpowder woodworks? I mean, what, what are we talking about here? Yeah, it, it's gunpowder woodworks, uh, and, and the guy that writes it is uh, Mark Hutchstein. I know I out, you know, botched that up because he uh, he was actually down here in Atlanta, and I had dinner and went to Highland woodworking with him, and uh, he told me the correct way to pronounce it. And, and you I'm forgot? Still botch it. You, well, you well it, forgot. It, it, it's my hillbilly accent does pronounce things. So uh, <laughs> otherwise, you guys may uh, a lot of you guys out there will know him as uh, Lugie on uh, on Twitter and a couple other different. Things. And he's a fixture um, in the hand in the hand to Olympics booth at the uh, Woodworking in America. And, and and the reason I wanted to bring bring him up on this was because uh, his site uh, Gunpowder Woodworks. When we were sitting there talking on on Sunday, uh, we we were just talking about just different little demonstrations and different techniques and you know and how you know people learn and and one of the things he had brought up and um, was just a really cool trick that that he learned. Um, and there's a blog post that he's got and he actually wrote this. Looks like on July 23rd of 2012. So it's been out quite a while, but the blog post was why you should take classes from master cabinet makers. Um, he had taken a class from Chuck Bender, and during the class they were doing a table, and one of the things is is putting the little buttons on the, the bottom down there to hold it, and how they can be a pain. This little simple button are a pain because you've got to take a dado and you know notch the end of it, and then you cut the length of it, so you're changing tools back and forth a lot. So there's a there's a little video on there. He demonstrates what what Chuck had told him, and, and and Chuck said that he'd found this from some other people. But basically, he took a dado stack and put his dado stack on, and then put um, the the eight inch dado stack, and then put his ten inch blade on with it. So there the dado stack and the blade is on there at the same time. So when you cut, you're actually you can cut the length, and you're cutting the um, you're cutting the length and the dado on it at the same time. It's just a really cool little trick, and it just shows that there's so many things that, that you can, can learn from going to these classes and stuff that you may just not pick up in your shop. Um, so it's, it's just really cool. I'd, I'd suggest you go in there and look at it. Go to the, uh, the, the website. It's just gunpowderwoodworks.com, uh, and if you'll just go through there and search on it, he, he did a little video. It shows exactly what I'm talking about. Just a very cool little trick. I'll try to link to that video in the show notes. And that's the beauty about, you know, organizations like this. Um, we're trying to connect people with, uh, with that knowledge, uh, put them in touch with, uh, with people who are good instructors, um, people who are willing to share their knowledge. And that's really what we're, what we're all about when it comes to the MWA, because, you know, we're, we're going to keep this pad, we're going to keep this craft going. We're going to have to share our knowledge and, uh, encourage people to come up and do the best they can. You and got it. And you know, and, and that's one of the things, I mean, I, I've, I really enjoy about this is just, you know, it, it's just like he called him when he was coming down here. So it's a nice chance to, uh, and not just us that, you know, do the podcast here, but everybody that's kind of members of it and stuff, it, you know, you kind of get to know each other and, and connect and, uh, it's kind of neat to, to get to meet up with different woodworkers from around. You know, it just amazes me every time I, I get together with a group of woodworkers, what I learned. So, uh, I don't know. It just—I thought that was worth bringing up, and just a, a very cool, cool point. And um, that's it. Sweet. And you know, speaking about people who teach a lot, um, 
uh, there's a there's a uh, there's an event coming up in uh, New York City. Uh, Diami, I think you might have some details on this. It's Japanese tools in New York City. We're going uh, international here, actually <laughs> transcontinental. Well, and, um, and, and I agree with that because we're bringing in a Jersey boy into Brooklyn, so that's as international as it gets. That's that's a that's a far reach right there. Um, no, the New York City Woodworkers Guild is a physical guild that gets together usually in Brooklyn, uh, run by Chris Landy, who is an MWA member. We met him at uh, Woodworking America a few years ago. Nice guy. He actually travels around the Northeast. He has a lighting company. Um, but New York City Woodworkers Guild is a, is a local organization that's just trying to get woodworkers together on a regular basis. And on April 22nd, they're bringing Wilbur Pan up from, I want to say South Jersey. I know Wilbur lives in He's Jersey. Central, Wil- Central Jersey. Central Jersey. Excuse yeah. me. Uh, from Long Island, it's all South Jersey. Of course. Um, but Wilbur is just a phenomenal Japanese tool, uh, fountain of knowledge. I took uh, seminars from him at the woodworking shows about Japanese hand planes, saws, and uh, chisels, and a third Japanese Mm -hmm. chisels. And I think this is going to be kind of the same topics. This is titled Japanese Tools for Western Woodshop, and he's going to give this speech to the New York Woodworkers Guild, and it's going to be on... Monday, April 22nd at 7 p.m. at Makeville Studio in Brooklyn. And I've talked to Chris about it, about how you know, to sign up. And he just said, he told me, just show up. So I'm going to tell everybody else, just show up. It's, uh, it's Makeville Studio in Brooklyn at 7 o'clock on the 22nd, some Monday night. So we'll have the address and some more information in the show notes. But if you're anywhere in the area, uh, if this is anything like the class I took with Wilbur or the article he wrote for Pop Woodworking about Japanese chisels, it's a really good topic, and he knows what he's talking about, so it's well worth attending if you can. And, you know, the beauty about uh, Wilbur's expertise is that he's a younger fellow who is, is teaching um, about, about Japanese tools. Um, uh, back in 2009, Diami, you and I were up at uh, Woodworking in America up at uh, uh, Valley Forge where Toshio Odate was. And, um, wow, there's a guy who knows his tools. Um, but he's in his 80s, and we want to make sure we don't lose any of that knowledge. Um, we're able to continue to bring that knowledge in because there's a wide world of Japanese tools out there, um, a little different to work with, but but still give outstanding results. So uh, you know, so it's important to capture this knowledge and keep it. Absolutely, and Wilbur's doing a great job on that. And to make those studios, what's again their address? They're at uh, 119 8th Street, Unit 208, in Brooklyn, right? Brooklyn, New York, yeah. If you just Google Makeville Studios, or as I said, I will have all that in the show notes, and people can look it up uh, once this posts. Um, or you could just go to New York City Woodworkers Guild on Facebook. They don't have a website yet. They're just on, the, on Facebook, but they'll have all the information there. Uh, also, okay. we should mention Wilbur's uh, GiantCypress.net is Wilbur's blog, and he's got the information. So there's a, there's a plethora of places you can find it. Great. Love to see that plethora. We love plethoras. <laughs> Speaking about plethoras of knowledge. I think it's time that we bring on our guest, and uh, you know it, this is a this is this is an honor because uh, I've seen the work this man does, and uh, I, I've got to tell you that um, uh, short of the work of Sam Maloof, I've never seen such beautiful chair making in my in, in, with my own eyes, and uh, and, and Charles Brock, uh, just the, the Highland woodworker, uh, Charles Brock Chairmaker dot com. Charles is just a, a, just a gifted. Uh, craftsman uh, when it comes to building chairs. And, and Charles, welcome to the Modern Brewers Association podcast. Thank you for coming on. 
thank you so much for inviting me. This is a, a real honor and pleasure. I've got a great association there. When I first heard of MWA, though, I thought it had something to do with wrestling. So <laughs> glad to, glad to see later. no grappling going on there. Sometimes it does. No. <laughs> that happens later in the podcast. Yeah, wait till we go off there. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for having me. Um, I, I know lots of people that are members of your organization, and uh, they seem to be younger than myself for the most part. I think that's a great thing. Because, like you were talking about earlier, the skills, the enthusiasm for woodworking has to be passed on. We have too many kids now that are sitting, playing computer games, etc. We need to get them in into the workshop, and we need to get them to enjoy having made something. That, that investment of, of time and energy and vision... So they've done something that is really theirs. Absolutely. And that's critical. I mean, to walk away with the satisfaction of doing something with your own two hands. It's just, it, it never loses its, its, its appeal. No, there's nothing better than standing back at the end of the day and seeing what you built. Uh, yes, it, it, it really makes a connection. I mean, uh, today we have too many people with depression, drugs, alcohol, so forth, and... I think if uh, if we could take the drugs and alcohol away before they get to the shop, they, they, they might uh, decide to go in a different direction. Well, it's going to be critical to get them before they actually do the drugs and alcohol. So yeah, so we, we ensure safety. That's that's going to be a big deal. That's that's right. Well, now, Charles, I understand that you began woodworking when you found yourself using your neighbor's tools more than you did. Tell tell us a little bit about this. What 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 got you going on this? Well, uh, this guy had some great tools. He had, uh, for the time, it was a craftsman workshop. People used to go to Sears, and they would buy a table saw, a joiner, pretty much everything Sears had, and they would uh, set up a little shop. And if you were um, especially ex-military, and this is no mm -hmm. indictment, but uh, I live in Columbus, Georgia, next to Fort Benning, and uh, as a kid, I'd go into somebody's shop and you'd see that they had painted an outline of every tool and where it went on a pegboard. <laughs> yep. And, That's organized. Right. But they never made anything. You know, they just had this shop. And, and so, uh, this fella had great intentions. He was ex military. Uh, but, I was able to kind of see that a shop existed next door to me, that there was some availability. And uh, my mother wasn't there telling me I was going to poke my eye out, which was a wonderful thing. And uh, I, I mean, think every mom says me. that. Yeah. Huh? I think every mom says that. Well, yeah. It's part of the, the rights of being a mom, I think. <laughs> uh, and my dad, he had terrible tools. I mean, he had... Some of the work, you know, if it was supposed to be sharp, it was dull. You know, if it was uh, supposed to be a, a hammer uh, and a claw broken off of it. I mean, you know, it's terrible. <laughs> but, yet he would tell me, you know, don't fool with those things. Well, I didn't want to go anywhere near them because they, they look dangerous. But, anyway, I, I got started with, uh, uh, had a vision, and uh, I had an uncle that, uh, he really taught me that you could have a vision, 
and do something uh, that uh, you know that was meaningful with that mission. I remember six or seven years old, I'd go over to his house and uh, I'd say, "Hey, Kate, where's Uncle Farrell? He's in there uh, uh, chopping a hole in the floor of the den." And I would go in there and look, and he's actually he wasn't chopping; he had a saw and he was cutting it out. And, and Uncle Farrell, what are you doing? Come back next week and you'll see. And then he, I came back next week. He was building a staircase down from, you know, the den. Why are you building a staircase to underneath the house, Uncle Farrell? Come back next week and you'll see. Well, what he was doing uh, after a bunch of visits, he had dug out underneath his, his house around the piers, poured a slab, bought a craftsman table saw and a joiner, and he started building a boat underneath the house, which just totally threw me off. But he took it out in sections, and he erected that, that vision into a 32-foot cabin cruiser wrapped in, in mahogany with wow. a Volvo uh, inboard diesel motor or engine. Wow. And, uh, you know, it, it, that was a real lesson in having a vision – following through it really inspired me a lot that, that's amazing that, that's a that's an incredible project to start off with and if, if you just begin think about just digging the hole to get your yeah. shop yeah. <laughs> i'm going to build a boat first step is the basement <laughs> that's right you know you got to start someplace um and, and i had a grandfather that uh he built spiral staircases uh for institutions like libraries and uh, I think University of Alabama had a big library where he laid out the spiral staircase and built it. And I uh, had a little uh, uh, furniture-making shop in his backyard. And uh, he died when I was uh, four. I was 10 years of age. And uh, just uh, it was neat visiting and looking at all this kind of dusty clutter and uh, uh, just kind of seeing something there. It was, you know, uh, exciting and so I think it might be in my gene pool somewhere and I hope uh, it is and I've connected with it and uh, thank you well, so you're welcome that's how you got into it but how did you get into making the sculpted chairs that you're known for <laughs> what what brought you to, to that type of woodworking well uh, I spent um, uh, well from about 1978 79 until, uh, I guess about 1990, building furniture for others. It, people would say, you know, I, I've been down to the, uh, the furniture store and they had a little table with a, uh, little, uh, drop leaf table and I'd like one of those, but it was $279 and I can't afford that. Will you make me one? And I'd go down there and measure it up. And the people in the furniture stores knew me because, uh, and, and they would see me laying around underneath things, measuring, and they knew that I was, you know, some minor competition, but uh, uh, they didn't bother me with it, and, and I told them what I was doing. And uh, so I built probably 250 projects for, for people, and but I learned a lot uh, about how to, uh, to, to build furniture. Um, I checked out about everything that the library had here on uh, on furniture making, the great furniture masters, the, uh, you know, the, the great period pieces and so forth. And 
and uh, just kind of drank it in. Um, and because we didn't have the internet, we didn't have you guys, you know, <laughs> uh, there was nobody to join up with. And still in Columbus, Georgia is kind of a, a wasteland for woodworkers, you know, uh, <laughs> people will say, what's he doing? <laughs> you know, uh, what could that guy be doing with that wood? He's always dusty. <laughs> you know? uh, so, uh, but anyway, I, I, I I just built for others, and uh, then I had to sell my shop, uh, sell everything that I had. It was, it was uh, could have been an awful thing, but it really worked out very well. My wife and I were both teachers, okay. and we uh, needed to go back to graduate school and climb the uh, the graduate school ladder as far as we possibly could together, and. We got uh, specialist degrees in administration. And uh, so when we retired, I guess it's almost five years ago yeah. now. You sold had, the shop to, to, so that you could go back to school? Why did you yes, have to go well, back? thank you, yes. Well, we had needed to raise some money. It was expensive for both of us to go at the same time. And, mm -hmm. and uh, so uh, that took care of that, was able to uh, to finish graduate school. And then my wife said, we moved to a new house. We had better income. She said, you know, you've always been building for others, and I know your love is, uh, is your passion is building furniture, but this time I want you to build for us. And, you know, and that really was a, a great thing. It was kind of a freedom. I'd always felt like that I needed to make whatever purchase I made to improve the shop, pay for itself. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, you know, not to take from the family budget. And uh, uh, and that's really kind of an important thing. If you have a family, that comes first. Uh, so I was able to uh, uh, have enough income between the two of us. I could just build for myself. Well, after a while, I kind of saw a need to still make some improvements and she didn't say that I couldn't teach. So I, I sent a little article down to the newspaper. And one thing that woodworkers need to know, they're trying to get started and, and, and become, quote, professional or do work for others, is the newspaper and all the media is dying for a story. I mean, they're sitting there, their inventory is zip until they get a story. So if you will provide them with a story and, and write just a little bit of it so that they'll have a hook, maybe, you know, uh, the local turning club, uh, they needed some PR. And so they got in touch with me and they said, well, how do you end up in the paper all the time? How do you get all this media coverage? I said, well, what you do is, uh, and I, I told them, you know, that you let the paper know what you're doing. I said, I tell you what, I'll write up a little hook and I'll send it in for you and then tell them to get in touch with you. And it was about, um, men wearing or men wearing plaid and turning wood for, for line and texture. Well, this lady that was, you know, uh, running the department that at the newspaper, that editor, she just was excited about that. So she called them and then they started getting some, some press. But, uh, 
if you've got something you're doing, let them know. And they'll come out, they'll cover it, and, you know, it, it will really elevate, you know, who you are and where you are. Charles, you're speaking my language. <laughs> because my day job is I'm a public information officer and I have to sell stories to the media. So you're just a guy who's right up my alley. This is this is awesome. We got to get together and talk more. Um, oh, thank you. One of the things I have noticed about you, and especially when I when I saw you at Woodworking in America, was that your passion is teaching, and and I, it just it just exudes from every pore. It really does. And you know, I noticed that you do offer a lot of videos and classes on building. How do the ideas come about? What you want to teach? How do they how do they come about? Well. Uh, First of all, uh, as a professional, uh, if there's money involved and, you know, uh, a professional needs to make money off of what they're doing or at least break even. So uh, something that's very important is kind of a reverse marketing. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't make a product and then take it out there and, and try to sell it in this day and time. What, what you need to do is you need to find a niche, find this thing that you, you uh, feel passionate about or that you feel like will suit a number of, of clients. And then that's where you put your time and energy. And you already, uh, as you come up with the, the product, you've got to know where it can be marketed, how mm -hmm. to reach that target market. So, um, I was, uh, I'd started making, uh, or starting teaching classes there in, in my own garage. The, uh, city of Columbus didn't care for it too much. And on Saturday morning, I would throw up the, uh, uh garage door and people looking for yard sales thought it was a yard sale. They didn't realize that I was inviting people into the class. And so folks were flying up in their car and picking up, you know, running into my shop and picking up a, uh, uh, you know, a Lee Nielsen hand playing saying, I'll give you 50 cents for it. And I'm trying to usher them out the door and get the class going and all that sort of stuff. Um, but uh, I tried it out uh, for about, about six months and it worked real well. And when I realized that my teaching skills that uh, uh, were born from my profession could be transferred into uh, getting, I could transfer that connection and passion to other people that, that had us an interest. Then there was just a fire burning in me that, you know, this is my purpose. And if you can get in line with what your purpose is, then I think you've done something and, uh, and you can create good for, for a lot of people. So, uh, I was teaching and I had one guy, wealthy guy that I had known when I was younger. We played little league together and, um, he started out just as poor as I was, but, uh, he, uh, was a fabulous fella and had always found good wherever he had gone and in life and had done extremely well. And he had inherited some old craftsman tools and he wanted to know, uh, what can I do with these? And, course i didn't want to tell him right off probably not much you mm -hmm. know you really need to to elevate and so i kind of worked with him and he signed up for all my classes there in my little garage and i had uh 
Larry Mize, who won the Masters back in the 80s, and, mm -hmm. you know, different people. I was attracting a, a pretty good crowd, you know, and um, enjoying that. Well, the, the, the wealthy guy had uh, paid a visit to my auxiliary library in my porcelain convenience. Ah. Uh, yes, yeah, so you might have one of those too. It's uh, matter of fact, yeah, it's, it's a very frequently, it's a well frequented room. Yes, <laughs> yes, right. Kind of the pick of the litter is over there, at least. Uh, you know, so uh, he found a a picture of a Maloof uh, rocker on the back of a fine woodworking magazine, and he came out and he said, uh, he said, Chuck, if you ever uh, do anything like this, I'd really be interested. So um, I, I knew that. That was something that, if I spent some time developing, that uh, he could afford uh, to pay me very well for, mm -hmm. and I uh, saw some promise there. I had no idea that the things that happened, you know, what would happen. I have no crystal ball when it comes to that, like the rest of us. So, um, over about a two-year period, I built my first rocker. It was kind of clunky, but Looked kind of Maloofian, and um, he I invited him over. He looked at it, and he says, you know, how much? And my knees were knocking. It's hard to make that jump from uh, utilitarian woodworking to selling it as art. And, and you have to bow up, and you have to let your knees knock, and you have to ask for it. Because if you don't think it's worth anything, Nobody else will either. And, uh, you know, that, that's it's something that is hard to do. Uh, you can't do a favor for everybody uh, by not doing a favor for yourself and seeing value in your time. So so anyway, I, I said $5,000. And he said, well, that sounds good. Uh, I'll, I'll take two. And I'm like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I can't believe this. This is ridiculous, you know. I mean, uh, and then uh, from somewhere back in the recesses of my brain, I mumbled, uh, well, why don't we go to Pennsylvania, to some of the great yards up there, and find some beautifully figured walnut for these chairs? And he said, yeah, just call my secretary. She'll buy the tickets and set everything up. And We'll go up there and rent a car. We'll drive around till we find. And I mean, I'm almost having a coronary. I'm going, you know, I can't believe it. But that, it that's really taught me something. If you ask, you got a chance. If you don't ask, you know, so yeah, I'm just a garage woodworker. You miss every shot you don't take, right, Charles? Excuse me? You miss every shot you don't take, right, Charles? That's right, uh, exactly. And, uh, and so you've got to be willing to ask. If you have ideas, you got to be willing to propose them. You've got to be willing to come up with a plan B, a plan C, uh, and work with it if you're going to be successful at, at whatever it is. And uh, so anyway, the, the guy, we went up, we, we bought three boards, or he bought three boards, 40 grand. Now the boards are 17 feet long, uh, six feet wide, uh, 10 quarters. Oh, three of them out of the same log. They're just big slabs. Uh, we have been spraying, um, 
denatured alcohol all day when we would go look at these slabs looking for figure. It had color. I mean, English walnut that has orange, black, green, cream, brown. I mean, it looked like a rainbow with curl all over it. And wow. Crotches and feathers here and there. Uh, just, you know, uh, and so uh, he paid for it and we, uh, uh, got back in the car and I, I said, well, you know, we really didn't need that much wood. He says, well, I was thinking about it. I, I want you to build me five rockers, you know, <laughs> one for each of my daughters and one for my wife, and one for myself. And, and, uh, you know, he, he was driving along in the rental car and I'm sitting over there just thinking, what have I got myself into? <laughs> this is just amazing. And, uh, so built the first rock. I, I really worked on it. I mean, I wanted it to be uh, something, the, the most special thing I had ever done because this was a quite an opportunity. Well, uh, before I put my name on it, it uh, I felt like I had done everything that I could do. It was a little, maybe a little more boxy, not quite as flowing as the rockers I do today. But... Mm-hmm. Um, I was very proud of it, and my wife was kind of nagging me about, when are you going to finish? When are you going to finish? And, uh, you know, when I finish, I'll be finished, dear. Thank you very much. And so I was finally, and he picked it up. And he'd come over on Tuesday nights and sand a little bit on it and, you know, uh, ask me about what I was doing and uh, and help some. And, and uh, it was a great connection. And if you sell to wealthy people, this is something that I think anybody who is professional trying to to move into selling their their work as art uh you need to understand that they're not just buying a thing they're buying a story they want to to be involved in that story and they want to have a connection with the person they deem as the artist and they can buy anything they want Mm-hmm. But it's harder to come up with that story. Um, stories point. are what really connect us all. Yeah. That's a very good point. I mean, that's something wow. you think about a lot. You know, you don't. You're right. I mean, so many people when when they've got something special, it's most of the time not, "Hey, look what I've got," but, "Hey, listen to this," and then mm-hmm. they start in on the story on it. So, I mean, you're 100 percent right. Sure, and uh, actually, uh, I can't take credit at all for that that thought i was at a, a uh, an education conference in san francisco and i wasn't paying attention to the speaker and in fact i was doing something else i think i was doodling drawing something and uh actually i was just enjoying the opportunity i could go to san francisco on somebody else's dime <laughs> so I, I was kind of doodling and all of a sudden there was this uh, uh i heard this one kernel of information that the, the lady was talking about differences between poor and wealthy and people. And uh, and that just kind of went ding and filed it away and was able to draw on it at, at the right time. It, uh, uh, well, so I, I made this first rock, and the, and the guy took it off, and, uh, and uh, he was really excited. About a week later, on my garage door on Tuesday night, and he says, uh, Chuck, I got to see you about the chair. I thought, Oh no, 
Something. Yeah. Life set in it. It fell apart. You know, it's uh, you know this is uh, the bubble has burst. You know. <laughs> so, but he came in. He says, "Well, you know, my wife and I were talking. We we really um, we think we need to 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 give you a, a tip of a thousand dollars on each chair because <laughs> you've done such a beautiful job." And uh, you know, and. Uh, the story is just unbelievable to me. Um, I think I've found more success doing this uh, than any other thing I can think of in my life professionally. Uh, you know, I, I think I've been a, a success. I hope my kids would say as as a father and, and as a husband, and all that. But but this uh, this has been a real special kind of success. Um, and it's it's been one of the easiest things I've ever done. Well, I sent a picture off to um, uh, to Highland Woodworking. I didn't know anybody up there really by name. And I'm a hundred miles away from them, and, uh, but I'd been in the store uh, off and on since 1982, I guess. Um, and uh, sent a picture to customer service. Sent a picture to the rocker, and I just asked, "Will you please?" Uh, let me have a link for the little blog I started to write to your uh, link section at the, the back of, well, two months later they called me and they said, Sam Maloof is, you know, too sick to teach his classes anymore. We love the chair you did. Can you come teach it? And I was really amazed. I mean, that was huge break. And uh, I got up there teaching the class and I felt kind of stupid. I looked around the walls and hear all these, if you've ever been in their classroom, I have. Yeah. yeah. Hear all these pictures of Sam Maloof. I felt like he was spying on me. <laughs> you, know, he say, you know, what right have you got to be there? Charles Brock, you know, you're just a garage woodworker. And I want to say, I know, I know, but they asked me. So uh, it wasn't my fault. Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, classes just kept filling up. They kept booking the class, and uh, I made up some patterns and uh, just um, uh, wrote up a little 24-page kind of PowerPoint of this is how you can make the chair. And um, and so when I'd go do the class, I would give that out. And then I realized, well, you know, I could sell this. And uh, I have a, an audience there of 30 people each time, and maybe I could put it online and sell it. So uh, I did that, and I raised enough money that first year from selling just a little, uh, basically a PowerPoint and the patterns, uh, I probably sold 100 copies at, uh, at $100 a piece and use that money plus my class money to invest uh, in having my son-in-law do the DVD. Uh, he, uh, Steve Price, is, uh, <laughs> uh, he actually does a great job because, I mean, look at what he has to work with. <laughs> he, he uh, you know, he put the thing together did the editing on the, the DVD. Um, I wrote a little book to put with it as a companion. 
I had no idea how to publish, how to do any of that stuff, but I just took it one step at a time, and it was my last year of teaching public school for the last time and had my pension made. I had it ready to go, and I'd run into Chris Bagby, who's the uh, owner of Highland, uh, when I was doing a class, and somewhere, this is back again to the recesses of my little weak mind, I had pictured me asking or meeting Chris Bagby or whoever the owner was and saying, look, I'm doing this uh, DVD on how to make a uh, sculptured rocker uh, with a book and and uh, some patterns. Um, if I finish it up, would you put it on the front page of your catalog? And I actually asked him that the day I met him about probably about uh, two or three minutes after I met him. So would you put it on the cover of your fall catalog? And he said, yes. <laughs> and so I felt like a kid in a candy store. Um, so the fall catalog came out. It was in there. It was selling, uh, selling great. And I sold well since then. Um, it's, it's wonderful to be able to go to a city and know that I can, just like you guys, you know who you've got in Nashville, Tennessee. You know, you know who the members are. Uh, you know who they are in Atlanta and, and, uh, uh, there in, in, in New York City. So you go to these places and you've got a community right there. Well, I find that with building the chair. Uh, all I have to do is put up, I'm going to so and so. And usually, uh, some people, We'll, we'll call me that built the chair and they'll say, let's get together. I want to show you mine and, and they'll pick up the tab for mine. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, it's a, it's a great traveling on the cheap. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Travel tips by Charles Brock. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, Charles, you know, you're teaching a class and you know, it, it, looking at a, uh, a sculpted curved rocker like that is just intimidating as, as a novice, as somebody who's never even approached it. Um, what, what do you think is the most difficult part for somebody to get their head around at the, with a chair like that? And how do you overcome that? Well, the chair is just uh, a whole group of separate woodworking projects to start with. I mean, you've got a leg. Front leg is going to be turned. It's going to be uh, uh, bandsawed. It's going to be turned. It's going to, uh, we're going to put some dados in it. And so, and then you make two of them. All right, so you've got that. Well, anyway, you work through all the different pieces, and you do fit them kind of as you go. Okay. Uh, and, and there's some uh, neat ways to fit parts. Um, the chair has its reference points. It has its places where you can find square. Now, we all have to work off of square. We have to know where those reference points are. But between point A and point B, hmm. it can be whatever <laughs> you can come up with. It, it goes from being an engineering project, uh, the joinery, <laughs> and finding those square points and working off of them, to an art project. Uh, I find that there's some people better suited to the engineering side of it. And they have to work much harder on the, the art project side. Uh, 
Uh, at one time, I kind of tied it to a continuum of one to ten. Mm -hmm. One being the pure artist, mm -hmm. woodworker. Uh, and you probably know somebody like that. They really can't put boards together, but they can carve, they can, they can draw, right. they, you know. And then there's the pure engineer, the 10. Uh, they can put boards together, but they have a hard time working back the other way. Um, for projects that require some artistic ability and some engineering, it's best to, to kind of work between maybe a four or five or a six on that continuum. Uh, and you, every project requires you to be in a different place on that continuum, like the uh, cross that you were showing earlier. Now, when you start out, you're kind of operating on the, yeah, the, the 8, that 9, 10 like side. And then now you're on the, uh, the 1, 2, 3 side of that continuum. And, uh, and I think it's good for woodworkers to know which end of that continuum they need to work on the most. Right. And uh, everybody has a different learning style. Everybody has a different woodworking style. And they, they really kind of need to identify themselves, but then push themselves for growth toward the thing that they're not. Now, this, now Charles. This is the most valuable insight. I mean, I, I've got to say, Charles, this is some of the most valuable insight we've had on this program. I mean, this one's a keeper. Put this one in the vault. This one is awesome. <laughs> Uh, I'm just an old man who rambles on. So. No, I, I love it. Everyone's this is awesome. fantastic, Charles. This is Thank great. You. Now, 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 Charles, look, you're for for those that are listening. I, I'm I'm looking at Charles right now, and and he's got he's got the hat on that that's that's now become kind of kind of well known for something else. Uh, Charles, you're the uh, you're the host of the the Highland Woodworker. Uh, and for those of you who don't know about that, you've got to check it out. It's an internet uh, woodworking TV show that's the that's put on by Highland Woodworking, and and Charles puts this together, and it is fantastic. I mean, um, you guys do a phenomenal job about just. I mean, it, it, it's it's the quality of it is excellent. So, how did you how did you come up about this, and how did you end up being the host of this, and how did this whole thing get started? Well, don't stop. I was enjoying the accolade. I, I'm, gonna stop. I'm not, I'm not going to give you any more compliments on it. I'm done with that part. You have to work I for know now. About it now. Yeah. <laughs> See, uh, woodworkers work in seclusion so much. It's, uh, it's, uh, I'm lonely. I'm really lonely. Um, no, thank you very much. The, uh, the show came about uh, while Steve Price, uh, the, the, the video fella, or my son-in-law, uh, while well, we went out to get a, a pizza to pick it up for the family. Pizza wasn't ready. They needed 10 more minutes. We sat down and we said, all right, uh, we've done uh, the rocker bundle DVDs. We've done uh, the, the low back chair. What do we want to do next? And Steve, uh, he always says, like I was talking about, talking about before uh, with marketing, what's missing? It's a great way to start out. Uh, trying to come up with a product. And I said, you know, a uh, an internet woodworking show and something that is a magazine but is a video magazine. Uh, most of the woodworking shows, as you know, are uh, I'm going to build a trellis or something. I'm going to build a jewelry box. And, and so it's a project-centered show. 
Uh, and there have been some great ones, of course. I mean, Norm, we're here probably because of Norm. He grew the industry, industry with, uh, with what he did. Uh, but, uh, what was missing was stories about people, about the woodworkers, you know, about, uh, the stories about, uh, you know, I wanted to know something about Roy, other, Roy Underhill, other than what I saw on his show. Mm-hmm. I wanted to, to, uh, kind of do the, the kickback, what's he like around the house kind of thing. And, uh, I thought it would make for something that would be informative, entertaining, and uh, inspiring. Because woodworkers, I think, need to know that that they can ins- they they can uh, have a vision of building a career, uh, and that everybody has their story of where they started, and it wasn't at the top. And how they got there. I mean, with me, I was just foolish to, to ask for things, you know, and it, that was, I guess, my way, um, pushy school teacher. <laughs> so, but there are, um, uh, every story we've done, a moment with a master from Roy Underhill to, uh, Brian Boggs to, uh, Jeff Miller that we've got coming up. Uh, it's going to be released this Saturday. Um, the uh, April show, every one of them, that they didn't start out as woodworkers. You can almost see a path that is very typical that they followed. They were interested in solving problems. They were interested in, um, at a young age, they were interested, and in maybe a lot of them built models, little, you know, plastic model car ships, planes, and things. I know I did that. Um, they were interested in how things go together. Uh, they like to doodle a lot, you know, draw things. Uh, and so they, they were acquiring vision. Um, I also find that most of them built a lot of their tools. In some cases, made them almost from scratch. Uh, that, that, you know, they didn't go out and buy the thing at the woodworking show that was on the corner that was yelling at you with a guy with a mic, you know, uh, this does so and so, you know, and we've got the package here today for, you know, $499. And you're thinking, Oh, I hope I got enough on this credit card to get that. Cause I really need to be able to dial in. That's not what they do. Uh, and, uh, so, uh, now that I've slayed that industry, <laughs> <laughs> But so, um, no, they, they, these guys, um, all had pretty good educations, uh, you know, from they'd quit law school or they, uh, graduated from Yale in the case of, uh, Jeff Miller and was playing symphonic trumpet and, uh, you know, and, and they had different obstacles along the way, just like every one of us, uh, this is trying to work toward you know, uh, establishing a career. And uh, the whole time, woodworking was a passion. And so I wanted to try to unleash that, tell those stories, and uh, try to get, you know, woodworkers inspired. Um, and I also, at the same time, I noticed that uh, y'all are doing a great job of building community. And uh, you have to do that in retail today or any 
organization has got to build community. You've got to seem like a safe place to, uh, to kind of be yourself and take your passions. So, you know, woodworkers, uh, undoubtedly, the way they're signing up in droves, they, they, they feel uh, like your organization does that. And, and, and I can see that is, is very true. Um, so I wanted Highland Woodworking, uh, who had given me this wonderful chance. And I feel very loyal toward them, and uh, I don't work for them. A lot of people think I work for them or that Highland owns the show. Or One guy thought that Roy Underhill owned the show. I, <laughs> I, I still hadn't gotten over that. I think his name is Stinky or something. I, I don't know. It, it turned out he had his own show. So that's a good point. But you said that, that Highland does, does not have the show. You You put the show on. Is that right? Yeah, well, Steve, I didn't I realize up, that. Yeah, yeah, we we came up with the idea for the show during that ten minute pizza wait. Uh, mm. I said, let's call it the Highland Woodworker, and he says, well, how are we going to get it out there? I said, well, Highland Woodworking has X number of email addresses, and that's a distribution system in itself. Uh, they want to draw attention. Um, it it was one of uh, one of the most interesting moments to me is about six months after the rocker DVD came out and sales had been great and everything. I was sitting in uh, Chris Bagby's office at Highland. He says, well, what are you going to do next? He said, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you mean I got to do something else. I'm finished. You know, he says, no, you know, you just started now. Now you got to do something else. And I found that everybody in the industry has constantly got to come up with this new thing and everybody in business of any kind has to constantly if you don't know what your plan is going to be uh six months from now you're probably already dead in the water uh, yeah and so well anyway uh we worked at uh, uh first of all trying to sell chris bagby on the idea he looked at me and and he said, Chuck, you come up with some interesting stuff, but this is just radical. And I said, well, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but think <laughs> about it. And so we, we finally got together and we showed him a Tennessee Crossroads segment that Steve had produced and, and uh, edited and put together. And he says, well, yeah, this is, this is great stuff. And I can see it a lot better now, but how are we going to make this work? Uh, I said, well, you're going to pay for it. And, <laughs> and uh, I gave him a price tag, and and that was radical, too. <laughs> it was real radical. Well, uh, it just, uh, we just kept going back and forth. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And I thought the whole thing had been shot down when my mother-in-law told me it was a good idea. <laughs> I mean, she's never said, you know, Charles, that's a good idea. Well, you know, she talks that way because of the cigars that she smokes. Yeah, you know. I like her. Uh, oh yeah, she's, she's real special as long as she stays at her home. <laughs> uh, and it, it, she enjoys me talking about her and telling stories. And I found out when I do a class. Uh, one of the great ways to break the ice is while well, I'm setting up to make a cut or something, especially if I'm doing a demo class, I tell some crazy something about my mother-in-law. Uh, cause you gotta entertain the people as well as 
you know, as well as inform them and, and whatever else you can do. Uh, but, you know, we all have some, probably a relative that irritates us, and so we can all come up. Some of us have more than one. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, we did sell the show. We went out. Uh, Chris uh, Bagby helped us get uh, Roy Underhill to do the pilot with us. And we did that, and uh, we started showing it to uh, uh, the sponsors. And it wasn't easy because they looked at it and they said, what in the world is this? You know, what are you guys doing? And uh, we just kept working at it because we believed in it. And when it came out uh, the first time, uh, I was very proud of the show. And, and we, uh, Wood Whisperer, or Mark Spagnola and his gang kind of gave it a big thumbs up. and. Uh, and that was very nice. And when I was at uh, Woodworking in America, and I ran into, you know, to person after person telling me they enjoyed it. Couldn't believe it because all of y'all kind of look like numbers when I look to see what the numbers <laughs> are. But when you start seeing each person and their story, and uh, just like you find out with the folks that you connect with uh, in the organization, that's the most beautiful thing. It's humbling. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. And you, you touched on the community and things, events like Woodwork in America, where you get to, to meet these people. They're just, they're fantastic. Yeah, yeah that they are. And um, we are, got our sixth show, as, as I was saying, uh, coming out Saturday. And it's um, we've got a pretty good lineup. Um, we've got uh, Jeff Miller's Moment with a Master. Um, and... Um, and it's a little longer moment with a master segment than we're used to uh, to having, but Jeff wouldn't let us go. He held us <laughs> hostage. The camera kept running. And he made us do it. But I think well, you'll well, enjoy well. it because he's he's a great story. And then we've got uh, uh, Chris Schwarz and his uh, redneck jigs that uh, uh, I filmed with him uh, up at the uh, Popwood uh digs in Cincinnati, uh, uh, and popular woodworking, they kind of came on board after the, the first, uh, episode, uh, ran with Roy Underhill. And, and, uh, so we have, uh, larger distribution. Now we have, uh, their email list. And so if you're not finding out about the show and you even need to, to register at pop woods site, uh, for email blast or Highland Woodworking for, you know, for their email blast. And yeah, everybody's trying to sell you something, but it's not the first, you know, the first time. Just, uh, <laughs> uh, and the show though is for free. Um, and, uh, so we, Charles, you, yeah. you, you had mentioned, you know, earlier on I was talking about some, uh, one of our, one of our MWA guys was, was talking about going to a class with Chuck Bender and, and he had learned just a really cool little trick, and and I'd said, you know, hey, let's go over the site. I mean, when when you're going out here with all these guys, I, I'm sure that you're seeing a lot of things like this too. But what would be? Do do you have any tops of 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 some stuff, some tricks, or something that you've learned going out here to some of these masters and stuff, and and having a chance to sit in the shop with them? Some cool things that you've seen. I'm putting you on the spot. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I've seen some great stuff. Uh, one of the most interesting things was, um, actually Brian Boggs 
uh, ability to make tools and jigs at a level that I had never seen before. Uh, that is his forte. I mean, he's a, he's a great designer. Um, but his ability to, uh, come up with a design, not worrying about how he's going to build it, and then, uh, engineering a way to get that design built, just like he, just like he had envisioned it. Um, Jeff Miller is, is the same way. And, you know, I think, um, probably, Diligence is, is uh, not giving up is the best tool in the work in the toolbox. Uh, Jeff Miller has been working on a particular chair design for 20 years, and things will keep bringing him back to it. And we have uh, part of that story in the show. Um, and uh, yeah, I've just seen just just many. Oh, uh, one thing that they all do. Almost all of them. That is just remarkable that a lot of woodworkers kind of skip over is modeling. Uh, building a model, mm -hmm. building several models. Uh, Craig Nutt is kind of the whole foods of, of, of fine woodworking. And he, uh, I don't know if you're aware of Craig's work or not, but he'll make peapod chairs. He's got, uh, a, a bean. With peas in it, that's the leg of the chairs. Yes, I saw that. Some crazy stuff, but it's awesome. Oh, it is. And, uh, and he will carve a little model out of basswood uh, of each one of them, take a picture of it, and then he'll turn the picture and, uh, get several different views of that particular, uh, model. He'll color it, use, use uh, color pencils, color it different colors to see what is going to work, uh, kind of draw in some changes he's going to make. Um, but uh, using, you know, really a multimedia kind of approach, he knows where he's going before he ever comes close to, to you know, turning on the saw. And uh, if you're ever in the Atlanta airport, in the international terminal, he designed the corn cord that's there. Uh, the corn cord is this huge ear of corn hanging from the ceiling. Uh, get it? Corn cord, con cord. Corn cord, cord. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> all right. Um, it, it's got a shuck span. The shucks on the ear of corn are peeled back to make a wingspan or shuck span. Um, he's like no other. He's... Uh, uh, he's just he's just way out there, but he never stops with uh he has a vision he wants to do it, and he is just gonna be undaunted he's gonna do it and he seems to find that uh people will pay money for these weird visions so uh and he's done very well at it for for years so um yeah uh I think that modeling is something that Great. It's a very good tip. All right. Well, um, I, I've got one last question from you, and this is, came from, from one of our audience here. But before I do yeah. that, I just want to say that, I, you know, we really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been um, 
you know, it, we love all of our guests and, you know, but it, it's, it's sometimes it's just really insightful and I've really enjoyed this one. So I really appreciate you coming on and, uh, and you know what, I'm in Atlanta and we meet once a month here. So <laughs> yeah, uh, you, love to come up to one of your you meetings. You need to come up sometime. Yeah. Just, uh, email me and let me know when it is. And, uh, uh, you I'll know, do you that. I have to chase me out of there. <laughs> uh, I, I, that's okay. You know what? We, we, we can handle that. So, uh, no, seriously, I would. I'd like to have you come up sometime and, and join us, and uh, we, we have a good time, and, and we'd uh, appreciate you coming around. So, um, And with that, I, I do, I've got one question from the audience, and it's sure. from Megan Fitzpatrick. Oh, with, all right. With Pop. And Megan says she wants to know if you're always as cheerful and upbeat as you are. Because are you like this at home all the time? Because every time you're always excited and you're smiling, and people say the same thing about me sometimes, and I'm not always that way. So <laughs> I can people tell don't you. know you, Chris. Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. Listen, I, I learned when you got to school that if you, you know, if you weren't, uh, if you couldn't put on the face and, and you know be the actor if you had to be the actor if you couldn't <clears throat> if you couldn't play the role you're probably not worth being around so uh you know I, i've i've entertained people in bands and done things like that my whole life and uh it's uh, uh it's a pleasure to ha to have uh, to have an audience and megan um she knows I'm I'm not all there so <laughs> <laughs> that's your secret i see it now well, thanks again uh, for coming on. We yeah. really appreciate it, and we've we've enjoyed this. Uh, Thank you very much. Charles. You're welcome. Charles, just just before just before we cut off, though, if somebody wants to find out more about your stuff, where do they look? Uh, CharlesBrockChairmaker.com. CharlesBrockChairmaker.com on the World there, Wide Web. Somebody, if you <laughs> haven't been there, you need to treat yourself to a visit. Charles, this has been a, 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 my pleasure and honor to. to to be the host of the program that you're on, and I can speak for the other guys as well. This has just been this has just been dynamite. This is just sure, material for the vault. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. Now we like may lock the vault. He didn't say yeah, that. Yeah. No, no, you lock me in the vault. <laughs> Charles, thank you again, and we look forward to, to hearing from you again later about more of your exploits. All right. Thank you so much. Y'all have a nice evening. You too, Charles. Thank you very thank much. You. You take care. Bye bye. Wow. Wow. That was good. That was excellent. That's the kind of content we like. And that, you know, with that, that just about wraps up the show. Now, if you're missing us already, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes and get it to your iPad or other listening device. Just search the, for the Modern Woodworkers Association under the podcast tab. So make sure you look for us there, okay? Once you subscribe, you'll be sure to never miss another exciting episode. And, you know, while you're there, please leave us a five-star rating if you liked it. This way it helps our rank and other people can find us a little bit easier. So do us that one favor, all right? That would be fantastic if you would. And if you also want to find out more about us besides just listening, you can always check out modernwoodworkersassociation.com. You can follow the MWA on Twitter. And that's at MWA underscore national. You could like the MWA on Facebook or circle the Modern Woodworkers Association on Google+. We do try to get around. And while you're checking us out on Google+, be sure to join the MWA Google+, community 
for project sharing discussion and just loads of woodworking banner. It's proving to be a pretty active community. There's always people there sharing what they're working on, uh, sharing problems, looking for advice, sharing advice. It's, it's a great place to talk with other woodworkers. All right, and with that, I'm Chris Adkins of High Rock Woodworking, and you can also find me on Twitter at at HighRockWW. I'm Diami Plotke of PenultimateWoodshop.com. I'm on Twitter at Diami Plotke, and that's D-Y-A-M-I-P-L-O-T-K-E. And I'm the resident shop monkey, joined with the shop monkey, uh, Tom Iavino of Tom'sWorkbench.com, and you can find me at Tom's Workbench on Twitter. Wishing, hey, everybody, wishing you all happy sawdust. Stay safe out there, okay? Keep all 10 fingers on your hands and keep building them, all right? 